So let me start with the first examination this morning, and that's faith. I've got two passages I want to share with you. The first one is Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 2, which says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The other passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. He says in verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you think about faith and when you talk about faith, to some, faith is an abstract concept. They just don't get it, right? They think it's something that you can't really grasp or even really explain. There's other people who think faith is just an overused term that we Christians use way too much. There's other people who would think and say that faith is just a cop-out and that we just, as Christians and as people of, quote, faith, we're just denying reality. There's people who, who believe those things. So what I want to think about this morning with just a few minutes is what is faith and how does it work? What is faith and how does it work? I know in terms of our building down the road that we're building, you know, in the finances to do that, I've often shared with people and we've talked about how we are walking by faith. I mean, we really are. Uh, when I tell people that, they look at me like i got three heads or something. It's like that just don't register with them. You know, why would you take off and do something and, and not have the means to complete it. I would take off and do it because God told us to, and we're trusting Him and walking by faith for Him to supply every provision and all that's needed to build that building. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's the way it works. So in simplest terms, walking by faith simply means that I, that I live and govern and walk my life in light of eternal consequences. I mean, at the simplest definition, that's sort of how you can define it. Rather than living like the world and following the world and pursuing the things of the world, if we are people of faith, we choose to follow God and to follow God's way and to walk with Him. Pretty simple, amen? That means that I fear God more than I fear man. That means that that I obey the Bible even when it contradicts what people tell me. That means that that I obey the Bible even when it may contradict what is popular in my culture right. and popular even in my in my family. you got, you got to obey the Word, right? you got to choose righteousness over sin. That means I'm walking by faith. Another way is that it basically, you know, no matter what the cost, i got to trust God in every circumstance. Amen. And i got to choose to live and govern and direct my life by the King of Kings and His kingdom. Amen? Amen? I think most people can grasp that concept of faith. The very basic definition that we just talked about. But I want to go a little deeper this morning. Because in, in every situation that we come across, every circumstance we encounter, we have a choice to make. Am I going to respond to this in faith? Or am I going to respond to it in the opposite of faith, which is fear? Am I going to respond to this circumstance by faith or in fear? Am I going to respond to this with human wisdom or with heavenly wisdom? Am I going to respond to this with you know, what I can see or can I trust in the unseen? So what I want to do is I want to give you three circumstances that just the Lord sort of laid on my heart and came to my mind, and then we're going to, I'm going to show you how this works, okay? So the first one, let's say you go to the doctor. And let's say you go to the doctor and you go through these tests and, you know, you go through this months of tests and examinations and all these things, and a couple months later he brings you in, he sits you down, and he shares that dreaded C word, right? Let's, you've got cancer. And he says, you know, stage three, stage four, whatever, you've got months, maybe a year to live. How would you deal with that situation? 
Let's imagine another one. Let's say you go into work tomorrow, and as soon as you walk in the door, the manager calls you to the office and says, hey, your job's gone. We no longer need you. You're done. How do you handle that situation? Or what about you see a brother and sister, and this don't even really impact us directly, but let's imagine you have a brother or sister whom you love, and and you, you've been in church with them for years and you see them making um, choices that contradict the very faith they claim to believe. And you see them s- slipping back into a lifestyle that they used to walk in and you know they don't need to be in. How do you handle that situation? Our response to those situations, situations like I just shared, is a telltale sign of how we're doing in the area of faith. And some people think that faith is just a denial of reality. Some people think that faith means that it's just, it's just positive thinking, right? That I just got to think positive. No matter what's going on, I just got to think positive. But that's not faith at all. Right. Some people think faith is just having a, being an optimist, right? That the glass is always half full and always seeing things that way, but that's not faith either. Some people also think that faith is just denying reality, right? That, hey, it doesn't matter what I see or what circumstance I find myself in. If I just deny it, then it doesn't exist. But some people really think that faith is just a a denial of reality. But what I want you to see this morning and understand is that true faith is simply elevating spiritual truth above physical truth. Let me share a definition with you I came across this week. This is from Pastor Andrew Womack. If you've never uh, read or seen anything, he's he's a great guy. He's out in Colorado. He has a television broadcast and wrote lots of books and all kinds of stuff. But I love this definition. He says, true faith doesn't deny physical truth. It just refuses to let physical truth dominate spiritual truth. True faith subdues physical truth to the reality of what? Spiritual truth. True faith doesn't deny physical truth. It just refuses to let physical truth dominate spiritual truth. True faith subdues physical truth to the reality of spiritual truth. So let's go back to those examples that I gave you and let's see how this works. Because here's the way it works. Going back to the diagnosis. Let's say that you go to the doctor and you get that horrible diagnosis that says, hey man, you've got months, maybe a year to live. You see, physical truth is, yes, I have cancer. Physical truth is, yes, this test was positive. Maybe, yes, I, I got a second opinion. And yes, I have a very bad prognosis. That is the physical truth. Faith doesn't say deny those things. What faith says is you take the spiritual truth of the situation and you elevate it above those things. Like what? Like, hey, like the resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is flowing in my body because I possess the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian, you do too, right? The Bible says that in Isaiah 54 that by His stripes we are healed. That word means to be made completely whole, physically, mentally, emotionally, and in every way, right? And what else? He says that, that by his stripes I am healed and I'm blessed with healing. Those are the spiritual truths. So I'm not denying the reality of the physical, but I have to decide which one I'm going to focus on and which one I'm going to elevate. Amen. Because the reality is what God calls us to do is take the spiritual truth and manifest it in the physical. We are the connection between physical truth and spiritual truth, and God wants to work through us. Amen. Let's go to our next example, the job loss. You know, again, if you go in the morning and, the, and your manager meets you at the door and tells you to go home, guess what? You have no job. Amen, right? <laughs> you have no income. The bills are not going to quit coming. I mean, those are realities. There's financial pressures. 
You know, there's a mortgage payment in less than 30 days. All those are the physical reality of the situation. But spiritually speaking, the spiritual reality is that God will provide. He says in Matthew 6 that if he cares for the ravens in the air, the birds of the field and all those things, then he'll take care of you. Right? He will provide our needs and he will do that. He owns everything. It's nothing for him to get you $1,000 for a house payment when he owns all of creation. Think about it. I mean, that's what you've got to focus on. Everything that you need exists in Jesus Christ. So again, you've got to decide, what am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on the physical or am I going to focus on the spiritual? Which one am I going to manifest in my life? Because that, that's what faith really is. Let's go to our last example, the, the backslidden brother or sister. Again, the physical reality is maybe they're not in church. Maybe they're making bad decisions. Maybe they're hanging out with bad company, right? That is the physical truth. The spiritual truth is this. God will never leave them. He knows where they're at. He knows what they're doing. He knows who, who they're involved with. And those promises of the, of the Word and the words of God that are hidden in the heart, they never leave. They're still there. So regardless of where that person may be and where they may be backslidden to, God is still working in the situation. He's still working in their heart. He's still working in their life. And He won't waste those things. And He's able to watch them and watch over them no matter where they may go. That is the spiritual truth. So I shared just those three examples because I want you to see how faith works. Faith is not a... I'm not denying the physical reality. But I'm choosing to exalt and, and manifest the spiritual truth over the physical truth because I had to focus on something. And I'm not sure to focus on the spiritual truth of an, you know, an, an all-powerful, all-knowing God than the physical situation that I find myself in. I love that. That second song we sang today, Greater Things, I asked Andy to do that this week. I love that song. And what I love is that bridge. He says that I've seen this fight from the victory. It's about perspective. And that there's no power in hell that can stand against me. I, I love those two lines. It's, it's a great song. So how do I do this? How do we do this walk of faith and do these things? The first thing is you've got to stand on His Word. You've got to stand on His Word. Because those promises are true and they will always be true. And the things that He says He'll do, He'll do. He will always do it. We just think about His faithfulness, right? And He is faithful. And He will do those things. You've got to stand on His Word. Number two, you've got to be sensitive to His Spirit. Because there'll be times when God, again, the, the purpose is to manifest spiritual in the physical. And we're the way He does that. And he may want you to, he may use you to meet some need or go share a word with somebody or go pray with somebody or whatever, but you've got to be sensitive to the Spirit. You've got to be listening, and you can't miss those opportunities. And then lastly, you've got to surrender to his leading. You've got to surrender to his leading. He will not waste your time, I promise you. He will not waste an opportunity. And I, and I say this all the time, but he's not going to lead you to do something and to sow a seed where he's not already prepared the soul. Because he's not he doesn't waste. He doesn't waste those opportunities. I ran across a, a story. Actually, Andrew Romack uh, had this story on his website. I was, it really fits in here because the whole idea of manifesting the spiritual. I just want to share it real quick. But, and, I'll, and I'll sort of summarize. I'm not going to read it word for word. But basically, there was a lady who, who went to this camp meeting. And she had this gorder on her neck. And she went forward for prayer and, and said that she, as soon as she prayed, she knew that she was healed. God told her that she was healed. And so she goes up in front of the audience and she gives a testimony about being healed. But that gorder was still visible. It says, so they went home, and ne- ne- the whole another year later, she comes back the next year at camp meeting, and she's back, and the gorder's still on her neck, and she gets up again and testifies, <laughs> gets up again and testifies about God's healing. 
So the gorder was still there. So the whole another year passes again. So I guess the second year, they come back to the camp meeting, and she gets up and she testifies about God's healing, but the gorder is still physically visible on her neck. And the leaders of the camp meeting went up to her, and she came off the platform and basically told her that you can't testify anymore about God's healing until he physically removes that gorder. Which has a whole other problem there. <laughs> but since she went back to her seat, and she sat down, and she started praying. She says, Lord, I know that you have healed me, and I don't have to see visible results to believe it, but will you please remove this for the sake of these unbelievers? And she said immediately, the gorder was removed. And she went back up to the front and testified again. But that's physical reality versus spiritual reality, right? She knew in her spirit what God was going to do, right? And, and those promises are true, and they will always be true, and God is faithful to those things. And if He's spoken those things to us, we can take them to the bank. But understand that faith is real. It is real. And it is the only evidence you need. That's why He says it's the substance of things hoped for. Amen? Amen. Checkpoint number two reception. Second area of examination, reception. Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. I'll read the whole thing because I want to put it in context. It says, Now he, that he is Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. I love this passage. Let me show you the phrase that I love right here. So all this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, notice this phrase, whom Satan has bound. Whom Satan has bound. Any teaching that tells you that God is the source of sickness is wrong. He is never the source of sickness. He is never the source of sickness. He doesn't send sickness into our life to work out His plan. That is completely wrong. That's not in the Bible. You won't support that doctrine at all from Scripture. Now, the enemy sends sickness. God does use those things. And He will not waste those things. Again, He doesn't waste things. And he will use those things for our benefit, but he is not the source of sickness. If you don't believe me, look at this. Because in that passage, notice, he says, whom Satan has bound. Satan's the source of it. Go to the next one, Isaac. Look at this, Acts 10, 38. Here it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by who? The devil. For God was with him. It doesn't say those who were oppressed by God or those who were oppressed by whoever. It says those who were oppressed by the devil. 17 times in the Gospels, 17 times, Jesus heals everybody that was present. Everybody. 47 times, 
in the in the Gospels, Jesus heals one or two people individually. You know, as he's going along, one or two people on occasion. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the Bible, will you find it where Jesus refused to heal anybody. It never happened. He healed them all. He healed them all because he went about doing that. That's right, doing good, healing those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Nowhere does he refuse to heal anyone. Jesus said that he could do nothing of himself but only what he saw what? What he saw the Father do. So if he, if he never refused to heal anybody, and what he's doing is a reflection of the Father, because he says that, I only do what I see the Father do, then his actions are proof that it's always God's will to heal us. Right. Always God's will. Amen? Amen? I mentioned it a while ago. Let's go back. So... The word most often translated save in the New Testament for salvation is the word sozo. It literally means made whole. And it means that it basically refers to complete and total healing of the whole person. What I want you to see this morning and understand is that healing is just a part of our salvation as forgiveness is. We never talk about that side of it, but it's there. And God's desire is not that we walk around uh, in, in infirmity and dealing with these issues, but that we are, we are healed. But here's the problem. We want to put God in a box. And we want to say, okay, God, I want to be healed, but you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it on this day. You've got to do it in this time frame. And, you know, you've got to look like this and act like this and smell like this or it's not from you. And, you know, we want to say, well, God used to do those things, but you don't do those things anymore. My Bible says it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did 5,000 years ago, he's still doing today. And he'll still be doing 5,000 years from now if he chooses not to come back and get us. Amen? He doesn't change. But, but what a mistake it is to put him in a box and say, God, you've got to work in the confines of this. I'm telling you, I, I lived that life for a long time. There's no joy in that box. There's no joy in putting him in a box and limiting him by my unbelief because that's what we're doing. When I say, God, you can't do that, or when I put God in, into some limitations, the real issue there is unbelief. And I'm saying that, God, you can do it, but you've got to do it. You can't do it unless you do it this way or, or this way. Or again, it has to look at, smell like this or whatever. We limit God by refusing to receive what he wants to do. That's what I want you to see. Talking about reception, receiving what God wants to do. Think about it this way. The Bible is very clear. It is God's will that none should perish. Can we agree about that? Amen? He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The Bible says that. But many do not come to repentance. Why? Unbelief. God wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody in the kingdom. He wants everybody to come to know Jesus, but the reality is everybody will not because of unbelief. In much the same way, it is also God's will to heal everyone. The Bible's very clear about that too. By His stripes we are healed. Right? There's, I mean, the healing is there. The power to heal is there. But many are not. Why? Same reason. Unbelief. There's many that, are, that, are, that do not come to salvation because of unbelief and there are many that are not healed because of unbelief. Because we don't receive what God wants to do. And we want to put constraints and, and all these guidelines and tell God how He's got to work. Who, who am I? Who am I to tell God how He's got to work? Or how, who am I to tell Him what, how he, you know, what, what time frame He has to do it in or how He's got to do it or, again, what it's got to look like or be like or how I've got to experience Him. He's the God of all creation. 
How stupid is it for the creation to tell the creator how he's got to do things? So how are you receiving what God wants to do? You see, there's some Christians who want to act like robots. And they walk around and they have this mentality that everything is God's will and God's will is accomplished, so I just basically just exist. And God's going to work it all out because he's already got it all figured out anyway. Well, he does have it all figured out, but guess what? He chooses to walk with us and have a relationship with us. He chooses for us to walk in the midst of this and and have a relationship with him. When when I read the Bible, when I read the New Testament, I don't see a bunch of robots. I see people who had relationships with Jesus and who walked with him every day he was on the earth. And then when God takes him home, what happens? They continue walking and spreading the message of, of the gospel and what Jesus did. It was all about relationships. They're not robots. So what do we need to do? If, if our reception is not right, what do we need to do? Three things. Number one, we need to submit to God. Again, how crazy for the creation to tell the Creator how He's got to do things. We've got to submit to Him. Number two, we've got to surrender to Him. And number three, we've got to seek Him. We've got to seek Him and become what He, what he desires. In order to, to do so... I've got, in order to be what he's calling me to be, to do what he's calling me to do, same goes for our church. In order to be the church that he is calling us to be, we've got to get out of our boxes. We've got to quit saying, God, you, have, you can do it, but you've got to do it in this time frame and in this manner and this way because, again, how crazy is that? Number three, our third and final area of examination is exercise. Now, I'm not talking about that physical exercise. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> if you've ever spent time in the cast, seriously, if you've ever spent time in the cast, or you've ever broken a bone, you know what happens when you don't use those muscles. Right? If you, if you're, if you have your arm in the cast or your leg in the cast, as soon as you, you know, you're in there six to eight weeks, whatever, when you get out, what happens? You're going to physical therapy. Why are you going to therapy? You're going to therapy because those muscles waste away and go weak when they are not used. And you go to physical therapy to strengthen those muscles so they can regain strength and range of movement and all that good stuff. So the muscle can function like it was originally intended to function. You with me? Faith is the same as muscles. It's got to be used. It's got to be flexed. It's got to be exercised because if you don't use it, guess what happens? It wastes away. It gets weak. You've got to use it in, in, in the same way. Let's share this passage with you. Luke 8, 22-25. This is the passage where Jesus and his disciples are out on, on the lake and the storm comes. It says, Now it happened on a certain day that he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him and saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water. And they obey him. Jesus asked a very interesting question to these disciples. Where is your faith? Faith is a gift. It is a gift from God. It is a byproduct 
of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and who reveals these things to us. He gives us a new heart and a gift of faith. That's what the Word says. So let me give you a couple ways that you can exercise your faith. Number one is make a connection. Make a connection. What's the connection? Make a connection between uh, the power of God in your situation. The power of God in your situation. Going back to what we talked about a while ago. The physical reality and the spiritual reality. So the first thing you've got to do to exercise your faith is to make that connection. You see, that's what amazes me about these disciples. They had walked with Jesus, right, for, for years. They had saw him raise the dead. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him heal people of diseases. Where was that faith? When they're out in the boat. They had seen these demonstrations of God's power. But here was the problem. They were unable to make a connection between this situation in the boat and the power of God they had seen displayed in the past. So if you want to exercise your faith, the first thing you have to do is you've got to make a connection with the power of God. You've got to make a connection with God and say, okay, God, my, you know, again, here's the physical reality of my situation. But what do you say about this? What's the spiritual truth of where I find myself? And you make that connection with the power of God. The problem with these disciples in the boat was that they saw the situation from a purely human standpoint. All they saw was the situation at hand from their perspective, and they completely forgot about all the stuff they saw Jesus do and the power they'd seen displayed in his, his life and ministry. And they, there was a disconnect. So again, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to make that connection. So just ask yourself, what situation in my life do I need to connect with the power of God? Because God can change it. Maybe it's a health issue in your life. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's just you need help living out the life God's called you to live. I don't know. But I know we all have situations. We all have issues. And we've got to take those issues and situations and we've got to connect them with the power of God because He can change it. So take that situation in your life. So here's the question. Are you looking at that from a secular perspective or from a faith perspective? A human perspective. Are you looking at it through faith or fear? Go to the next one, Isaac. Matthew 19, 26. Look at this. Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible. With God, all things, all things are possible. That's why you've got to connect to the power of God. Because He can change situations that you can't. I say all the time, He can do instantly what I can never do. Because of His power. Number two, you've got to submit to God. You've got to submit to God. We have to factor in God's power. We also have to submit to the sovereignty. What I want you to see, uh, can you jump back to slide, Isaac? I want you to notice the start of this. Look right here. Now, it happened on a certain day that he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over the other side of the lake. It was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. Go back to the slide, please. Because I'm talking about submitting to God. Again, it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that sometimes there may be a storm. You see, we have these TV preachers that tell you that all you got to do is pray and receive Jesus and everything's perfect. It's all perfect from then on out, but that's not true. There are storms in life. There are troubles in life. Jesus leads them into a storm. There's all kinds of reasons behind that. and We don't have time for all that this morning. But I want you to just, to just see that he never promised a, a trouble-free life. He never promised a storm-free life. But let me tell you what he did promise. He promised to see us to the end of that storm. And he promised that while we're going through it, guess what? He's right there by our side. Amen. He's walking through it with us. He doesn't promise a, 
again, a storm-free life, and He promises to be with us in the midst of the storm. So you've got to connect with the powerful God, but at the same time, you've got to know that He is sovereign, and He does whatever He pleases. And sometimes there will be a storm. That's why you've got to submit. You've got to submit to those storms and those trials and those hard times. Amen? And lastly, you've got to trust God. You've got to trust God. You see, some people think that faith is like a thermostat. It just sort of automatically kicks on. I mean, they really do. But it doesn't work that way. You have to manually activate your faith. That's why Jesus asked these disciples, where is your faith? If it was automatic, you wouldn't have to ask the question because they'd already been operating in faith. They'd already calmed the sea and Jesus would still be sleeping in the bottom of the boat. You see, they missed the whole thing because they were not operating in faith because their faith had not been activated. So again, I just want you to understand that you, you've got to operate this. You've got to turn it on. It's not automatic. When you get yourself in those situations and those circumstances, you, you've got to manually engage your faith. I'm going to ask Andy and the musicians if they would to come back up. Where is your faith? So, I want, I, want, I would ask you the same question that Jesus asked the disciples in the boat. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And, and if your answer is, is not that I'm exercising it, then there's an issue. The, the, the reality is there's a lot of people who have been in church for a long time. And, you know, if, if, uh, if the walk of faith is like an Olympic swimming pool in the very deep end, we're like still out here in the kiddie pool. We don't even sit down in the kiddie pool. We're just sort of splashing the water around with our hands. I mean, really, that's that's where we are. So what do you need? If you find yourself in that situation and you're not exercising your faith and you're not where you ought to be in your walk, what, what do you need to do? I think you need a couple of things. Number one, you need, you need a challenge that will stretch you beyond your limits. You need to be stretched. Or maybe you need to be pushed outside your comfort zone. I like comfort, do you? I don't have a recliner anymore, but when I had a recliner, I loved my recliner. 72 degrees in the recliner with the book, that's comfort. Maybe Chasta sold that to move me out of my comfort zone, right? <laughs> Seriously, we, we all have these, these areas that we're comfortable. And we're comfortable doing certain things and not others, but... I'm telling you that to activate your faith, you, you got to be pushed out of those comfort zones. Maybe you just need a situation that you have no choice but to trust God. Maybe you need to put it, be put into a storm or a trial where you have no other option and there's humanly no way out of this situation. And you have to trust God because that'll work your faith. That'll exercise your faith. I don't know what you need, but the Lord does. My question is simply this. Where is your faith? And if your answer is not, it's being exercised, here's the solution. I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to seriously ask the Lord this question on the bottom. Lord, what would you have me to do? Because He'll put you somewhere to stretch you. He can move you out of your comfort zone 
He can put you in a situation where you have no choice but to trust Him. He may not do any of those things, but we have to exercise our faith. If we don't use it, it's just like that limb in a cast. gets weak and is useless. Will you stand your feet? Let's pray. So, Father, again, we just thank you for this day. I thank you for all you've done, Lord. We thank you for your word and the message. And Lord, I just pray that you would just help us all to, to operate in faith. Lord, that we would, even though we may find ourselves in a difficult physical reality, we would choose to manifest and exalt the spiritual reality of what you say. Lord, I pray you would just help us with our reception. That, Lord, we wouldn't put you in, in a box and we would not limit you, but we would just receive whatever you want to do by faith. God, whatever it looks like, however it comes, just help us to be receptive. Lord, help us to exercise our faith. Not to be resting around, not to be weak, but to be have a faith that is strong because we use it and we trust in you. So Father, we thank you again for this time and Lord, I pray you just be with us during this time of invitation and response. Lord, just help us to be real and be obedient to you. Lord, help us to answer, to let you answer this question. Lord, what would you have us do? We ask these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord that question. I want you to be obedient. The other thing is this. If you're here today and you have one of those situations, will you submit it to the power of God? Will you make that connection today? Say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I'll be honored to pray with you about whatever. It doesn't matter. Because I know God can't change it, and He will change it. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a situation. I don't know. But I know God can change it. And He has the power and is willing to do so. He's not willing that any should perish. But many do because of unbelief. He's also not willing that any would not be healed. But many are because of unbelief. Just be obedient to the Lord. And take a step of faith.